Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm Pat Sloan, and we're going to talk thread first today because, you know, we all use it. It's part of everything that we make is thread. And so I have Ellen Osten, who is the National Director of Education for Sulky of America. And I'm really, really excited because we're going to do a little dive into what um, threads are all about with Sulky. So hi, Ellen. Hi, Pam. How are you? I mean, Pat, I am, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am really good. So first, Ellen, tell me, um, you've, you make quilts. You make lots of things. Um, uh, what, do you remember your first quilt? Well, actually, I do. I wanted to really make a real quilt, so I bought Eleanor Burns' book, Log Cabin in a Day, and it actually does do that. But I, but I was making it for my last baby, and this baby is 35 years old now, and his quilt is not yet finished. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very long day for you making yes. that one. Yes. <laughs> so so someday I hope that it might get done. Right, right. You know, the other ones got done, not just not that one. That's uh, right. It seems like a dream job, Ellen. You know, everybody loves to work in something that's sort of their hobby, and uh, they think that's, oh, that's really fabulous. And working for a thread company, you know, how did you end up there? It's, well, you know, for me, sewing is like breathing, and I have to do it to stay alive. And I found that whatever I'm wearing or, or giving as gifts is my best advertisement. And people, friends, neighbors kept asking me to sew and quilt for them. So I figured out a way to make it a way to earn my living and still do what I love. You know, that, you know, that is really fun because you've been with, how long have you been with Sulky? Oh, my gosh. Well, actually with them since 1992, became friends with them in 1988, and wow. <laughs> was on the core ground when we started doing the so exciting seminars that travel, that we travel around the country teaching in our retailer and for guilds and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And then in... A few years after that, I decided that they needed a permanent educator, and I came up with a job description that they <laughs> thankfully agreed to and became salaried with them. And so that's been going on over over 10 years ago. Hard yeah. to believe. I, I love that you made your own job. That's really, it's like, you need this job. So yeah. here I am. And, that's and like, I'm even more thankful that they agreed. That's right. That's right. Now, you travel a lot. What um, what kind of programs do you do on behalf of Sulky when you travel? Well, you name it, we do it. Uh, seminars, guild programs for all of the shows like American, the, the quilting show, Novi, and Original Sewing and Quilt Expo. We do lots with them. And... And we've gone international. We do the uh, embroidery then and quilting programs. It's just as we see a need and we figure out a way to fill it. Yeah, because I, I also noticed that you personally actually film a lot of the videos that are out on the uh, Sulky YouTube channel, so people can get lots of information there. Um, 
why don't we talk thread, Ellen? You know, tell okay. me, you know, let's keep it because Sulky creates a large variety of threads, but let's keep it a little bit tighter to, you know, quilt making, patchwork, applique. Um, what, what threads do you have for the quilt maker? Well, actually, all of our threads, believe it or not, can be used for quilting, and we do that. The, the most popular would be the 30-weight cotton. It's 100% Egyptian cotton. And we also have the 12-weight cotton, which is the heaviest in the collection. And for quilting, hand embroidery, and they, they work beautifully for that. The most favorite of mine is the blendables. That's 100% cotton, and mm -hmm. it is available in both weights, the 30-weight and the 12-weight. And it's dyed so that every two and a half to five inches, you get a unpredictable repeat. So huh. the solid cottons are great to piece with, and then the blendables are just phenomenal because they will blend with whatever type of fabric, print, abstract that you are working with. Neat. Now, I have a question for you as a, as a, you know, a quilter. Um, when you're using the blendables that are variegated, what do you use in the bobbin? Are you sticking the same thing? So like if I'm machine quilting a piece that the backing will have the same, or do you go with a solid color? I like to do both. If it depends on what I'm, what I have as the backing. And mm -hmm. if I want the back quilting to show up, I'll actually put the 12-weight blendable in the bobbin mm -hmm. and then use the same blendable on top in the 30-weight. And then I also use a size 90 top stitch or metallic needle when I'm quilting with that thread, too, because it has the larger eye in it and it makes it uh, pass through without shredding and breaking. And I also adjust the tension just a tiny bit. And of course, mm -hmm. every machine is different, so you have to adjust according to yours. So we always say rehearse it first. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it, rehearse yeah. it first. And then the other option that I'll do sometimes is we've got this great new uh, thread called Poly Light, and it is a 60 weight, and it comes hmm. in lots of different solid colors. And there are times where I want a lightweight thread in the, on the bobbin, so I'll use that. Oh, okay. All right. And then, yes, and so then that can blend can blend in or be a contrast. And in fact, we just finished filming a a new set of videos for F and W and Craft U, and I made one of the samples that's all quilted, and I used a, a thirty weight blendable on top, and then I actually used a multicolor sixty weight in the bobbin because huh. the back the back fabric was actually just muslin. So I wanted it to have some pizzazz instead of just kind of being there. Yeah, and that the the variegations are so beautiful with machine quilting. You know, they make it just m more interesting. I agree, totally. Now, what other type of thread besides cotton would do our quilters using, and how are they using it? Well, I find that when we're quilting and we know that that quilt is going to get washed and, and dried and loved and dragged around and beat up and all that, <laughs> that you know what I yeah. mean. Yeah. I, I like the poly deco for that. It's a, it is 100% polyester, and 
I know that 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 friend or mom is not caring about a, a how the clean label, so I'll actually use the forty, the six, excuse me, the sixty weight for piecing. That's the uh-huh. stitching together, and then when I'm all finished and ready to embellish it, if I don't want that person to have any care in the world as to how they launder it, then I'll use the six, the the forty weight polydeco, hundred percent polyester to quilt it with. And I can do the free notion, embroidery, computerized, well, you name it, and it just does a beautiful job. Yeah, those um, polys really are beautiful for the, um, the the quilting part to put it all together. And they're a bit more forgiving, particularly, don't you think, for beginners who are doing free motion because they give a, have a little give to them? Yes, they do. And we we actually have a video class going on that is uh, teaching the beginners how to do free motion and to get excellent results and so and then all of the threads in that are co- covered again but yes i agree the the 40 weight and even the 60 weight because they are polyester they they do have that little bit of give so mm-hmm. they can run it through just any any kind of embroidery or or regular sewing machine and have very little problems and they find the classes that you mentioned on uh, sulky.com? You can go there, definitely, sulky.com, and we have everything listed. And then we also have the the links that you can go directly to those different sites for the, the classes. And we're just having a ball with those. So I have um, a question that comes up to me, and I bet that you hear it, Ellen, as much as I do, if not many, many more times. Um, You know, how long does thread last? You know, people end up getting their great-grandma's jar of, you know, cotton thread that came from the five and dime, and they're like, can I use this? (laughs) Well, you are right. We get that. I I wouldn't go a day without hearing that. (laughs) And I don't know about other threads, but our threads really do survive very, very well. I actually have some of my first sulky threads that I got in 1988. Now, I'm not old. I just have been sewing for a long time. And, And... there were all of them are actually still usable today, except I had a very couple of them that were getting direct sunlight on them, and I wasn't aware of it till I went out to my storage room one day, and oh my gosh, they they were just in that nice bright Florida sunlight, and mm-hmm. so those two I have used for kind of um, abstract art and that type of thing, but Mm -hmm. all of my other threads, as long as they have been covered and stored correctly away from the heat vents and the sunlight, they are still usable today. And in fact, most of my, my, I should say all of my sulky rayons, except for those couple that I boo-booed over, they've Mm -hmm. lasted over 25 years and not had any problems with the oldest spools. So it's back to where... Cheap is not always a bargain, and as long right. as they've been they're stored properly, haven't had any problems with them. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's good to know because people really, you know, and, and what happens is we forget, right? You know, we have mm-hmm. been sewing a long time. We look in our drawer and we're like, oh my gosh, there's a spool of white, and I need white. Oh my gosh, how old is it? Is mm-hmm. it okay to use it? Um, and, pro- and probably, probably it is. I have a very um we have like a minute this always goes so fast ellen uh what where can people get um sort of more information about what is new and what's going on with sulky 
Salty.com has it all, and then be sure to sign up for our newsletter, and we have a wonderful blog that comes out constantly done by our Kelly Nagel, and that has all of new information projects. We have lots of free projects on the website, and there's lots of also free information that is there for you to download from all of our products to the newest products to the ones that we are favorites. So you name it, it's it's all accessible through Salky.com. Oh, this is super. Ellen, I appreciate you coming on and sharing um, a bit more about uh, Sulky with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this. I wish we had an hour. I know. <laughs> we'll be right back, folks. Choose from more than 100 of your favorite patterns from American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilts and More, and Quilt Sampler, all available online. Buy downloadable patterns today at apqshop.com. Hi, I'm Linda Augsburg, Executive Editor of American Patchwork and Quilting, and I'd like to invite you to join me in making pillowcases and creating smiles. For people who love to sew or quilt, it's so easy to lift spirits and bring smiles to hospitalized kids, homeless families, and others in need. Simply join American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine's One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Make one, two, or many more pillowcases and donate them in your local community. You'll create just as many smiles. Join the movement today. Find complete details, download free patterns, and record your donations online at allpeoplequilt.com backslash million pillowcases. Quilt along with us in 2016. Join our third annual quilt along by making a quilt, a one block pillow, or all four projects featuring plus sign designs. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash quilt along for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Follow American Patchwork and Quilting on Pinterest to find ideas for bags, baby projects, pillowcases, storage and organization, and more. Visit Pinterest.com backslash APQ Magazine to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm Pat Sloan, and I am so excited to be talking to Megan Pitts of Canoe Ridge Creations. I have followed Megan's work forever. She's a gorgeous photographer. She is prolific. She's always sharing something super cool, like, you know, like recently all her Instagram feed, she had all these barn quilts, which were just gorgeously photographed. So, Megan, thank you for being here. Thank you, Pat. How are you? I am great. I am great. Oh, I forgot mm. to say you also contribute to our magazines um, uh, a lot. So people have seen your work often in in the pages. Um, now, you right. told me, Megan, that you actually, like, started sewing from birth. Like, you came out with a needle and thread. and <laughs> Pretty close. Pretty close. Um, yeah, I am a fourth-generation sewer and quilter. Uh, my great-grandma sewed and quilted. My grandma still sews and quilts. My mom does, and it was just uh, natural for me to pick up the hobby as well. Um, yes. I grew up, oh, go ahead. I grew up uh, uh, going to quilt stores on Saturdays, 
um, <laughs> for things like Block of the Month, and it just was natural that I picked it up and made my first quilt when I was 12. Oh, my goodness. You know, I have nobody in my family sews at all. So, uh, you know, so the concept of having all these wonderful generations of of people who you can call on uh, and just being part of it. It's like you, you did block of the month. You must be younger Absolutely. than me. <laughs> it's like younger than me. <laughs> I did block of the month, yeah. And, in fact, it's funny that you say that, being able to call and converse on Friday. I was calling my grandma to set up. Um, we try to get together once a month to sew with my mom, and I was telling her that I was going to do your show today, mm-hmm. and she just had to chuckle, and she said, who would have thought dragging you along to all those quilt shows and quilt shops that, that you would be at this point now? So yeah. it's pretty cool. <laughs> so when did you decide that you, also, that you also wanted to make it part of your business? Um, did you start, did, did that happen like fairly early, or did you start writing about what you were doing just to document it? Right. So I um, made my first quilt when I was 12 and kind of transitioned into helping part-time at my local quilt store working. Um, And all through high school, that was my creative outlet. I would go and work on the weekends and teach classes and long-arm quilts. Um, And then I found myself moving away to college and not having that connection to my local quilt shop. So um, from a suggestion from a friend and from my mother, I just started... Uh, my blog, Kenny Ridge Creations, and it just started as a way for me to share pictures and document what I was working on, essentially just to, to send home to mom and dad and my sister mm-hmm. so they could see where I was at, yeah. And eventually it, it just kind of transitioned into uh, me meeting people in the quilting community. It was totally unexpected, um, mm-hmm. making friendships, and it, it just kind of has evolved from there. Yeah, that's what's really neat about writing about this online, particularly if you got in fairly early, you know, when there weren't a lot of people writing yet. And then, you know, you you made connections and just and it was so fun to be able to say, okay, I'd like to do something for that magazine or collaborate with this other designer. Um, And you also now actually work in a quilt shop. I do, yeah. So I, my husband travels, or we get moved around quite frequently for his job here in the Midwest. So um, a couple of years ago, I was working at a local quilt shop in Rochester, Minnesota called Pine Needles Quilt and So. Um, and then he was transferred back down to Iowa, and I found myself essentially in the middle of nowhere, uh, Iowa, small, <laughs> small town, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um I had my online friends, of course, and the online sewing community, but I still felt like I needed that uh, face-to-face connection with the creative quilting industry. And I, lo and behold, popped into the next small town over and met um, Heidi Kaizen, who has a quilt shop called Hen and Chick Studio. And one thing led to another, and now I am working there, yes, helping retail and helping kind of behind the scenes with the store. Yeah, I think that is so neat because, of course, I have known Heidi forever, and right. you are so lucky to be able to be there. Lucky girl. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it's a, a happy uh, sequence of events that kind of landed me right here. So I, I absolutely love it, and I'm really excited about having that connection still with the quilting industry face-to-face. So it's great. 
Now, tell me a little bit about your um, your mini club because you love mini quilts and you've been running um, a club uh, that people can be part of. What's it about? Right. So I have the Fresh Mini Quilt Club. Um, I started it, gosh, we're going on now our seventh uh, club membership. So each club uh, sequence runs for six months. So almost four years we're going on at this mini mm. quilt club. And I started it uh, because... Like, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love full quilt, throw quilts, mm-hmm. but I found myself wanting to work on smaller projects, um, mm-hmm. probably for the sole fact that I like a quick instant fit, uh, finish, quick satisfaction. Um, so I started sewing these mini quilts, and the mini quilt club uh, members can join at any time. On the first of the month, they're sent a PDF directly to their email with uh, step-by-step directions on each quilt and what keeps this club kind of fun and interesting is all six designs are kept secret until the month uh, that they're released so ah. kind of, yeah it, it's it's a fun kind of mystery throughout the six six months and it's been a really fun time yeah, I love the the mystery part of it. I think a lot of people do is, and, and when it's not something huge, you know, like a full bed size quilt, you know, that, you know, the right. small ones, if if it's like, oh, well, you know, something maybe you haven't tried before, how neat. Now, they can find that where? They can find that on my website, which is uh, com. Um, and I have that right on my sideboard. They can click on Fresh Mini Quilt Club or they can click on it at the top um, and get some more information on that. And like you said, trying a new technique, mini quilts are awesome because you can try not only a new sewing technique, um, but it's a small project if you want to test out like a new quilting design um, before you full-blow do it on a big mm. project. So we have a lot of fun in the club. Oh, that is a that is a good tip. Is that you know the small one? If you're thinking, oh, I want to try this, you know this type of design, you can just do it on the small thing, and then you have something done. It's not just like a dust cloth that you're right. practicing on. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And then you're not yeah. sure what you should do with it. <laughs> yeah. Now the other thing I want to um, be sure we get in is that yeah. you confessed. I, I consider this a confession, Megan. Okay. Uh, that that you actually like to do binding and that oh yeah <laughs> binding is my absolute favorite thing um hands down if i could like if, if i could pick one uh component of quilting and do it all the time it would definitely be binding absolutely so do your mom and your grandma send you their quilts so that you can do their binding should i say that out loud Oh, my gosh. I, I'm not sure if you should say that out loud. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet, but it might now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I forget I said that, Mom and Grandma. <laughs> so can you give me a couple of tips on getting uh, being successful at binding? Because I know that you've heard it as much as I've heard it, that there's the camps, either the people who love it or the people who are like, I never can make it look good, so I don't like it. Uh, what, do they, right. what do they need to do? Yeah, so like you said, a lot of feedback that I get, um, I have a binding tutorial that's up on my blog, and a lot of feedback I get from that is that people aren't happy with uh, maybe not achieving that perfect binding, if there is such a thing. And I think it kind of breaks down into two different areas. Corners seem to be Mm -hmm. a little troublesome, and then getting your binding to overlap and adjoin when when you finish sewing around the whole edge that can sometimes be tricky. So in my tutorial, I've posted step-by-step clear pictures of each of those steps um, 
the corners, I show you exactly where your needle should stop and start, how to fold mm -hmm. those corners over so that when you are either hand stitching or turning it over and machine stitching it again, you get that perfect mitered corner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wonder, so do you have like a do you have like a tutorial tab that they can go to? I do. Or is yeah, it on your? Go to my. It's on my blog. Yep. If they go to there, okay. they can see uh, tutorials. I have all sorts of patterns and tutorials, but that binding tutorial um, finds itself on Pinterest quite frequently. It's one of my yeah. kind of top hits on my blog. Um, yeah. And then I will just follow up the kind of overlapping trick that I have. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that I'm the first to do it, but I get a lot of positive feedback from it. Um, people join their binding in a couple different ways, but the way I do it is by overlapping and then joining it with an additional um, mitered edge. And I have a trip, a little tip rather, for mm -hmm. um, getting that perfect overlap according to your binding. So it's pretty cool. Perfect. So, so that's visually probably easier to see than to to walk through absolutely. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, one of those upside down and backwards things. So go right, uh, yeah. check out Makers. Now I do. We have like about a minute, uh, okay. just a little bit more. But I want you have a new family member um, quilting, but it didn't go right. down a level; it went up. It sure did. I passed my kind of quilting uh, on to the next generation above me. Um, so I come from a family of four: my parents and I have a younger sister. So. My dad, growing up in a household with three women, uh, kind of found himself in a position where he had to join in the hobby um, mm -hmm. in order to be involved or be left behind. And I say that jokingly. Of course, we wouldn't leave him behind. But he, right. uh, when we were always quilting and sewing, he always um, had an interest in it. He does woodworking, which is very similar to quilting and the mm -hmm. measurements and constructing things. So he got the math part of it, and he has just retired recently and has picked up quilting, um, and Pat, I'll tell you, it's kind of funny. I've been quilting for 16 years, so I have lots of unfinished projects, admittedly, and mm -hmm. I have started pulling those projects out, and my dad will finish them for me, and it is perfect. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Megan, this is so much fun, and you can yeah. actually have mom and grandma said binding to your dad. Cause right. They, there we go. They won't, yeah, they won't, won't come to you then. You can just push that off. on. That is so cool. I think you, yeah. you asked me. I think you are the only father-daughter team that I've ever heard of. So. Right. Yeah, um, it's pretty cool. It's a special connection. Yeah. Megan, this has been so great. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you, Pat. We'll be right back. Boost your sewing skills from start to finish with daily tips from the editors of American Patchwork and Quilting. Visit tips.allpeoplequilt.com for inspiration. Hi, I'm Linda Augsburg. Join me for a fun video series called Show Me How, brought to you by Baby Luck. Each month, I'll show you how to complete a simple project from start to finish. Learn new techniques, see tips, and sew a great project with me. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash videos to watch. Get two full years of American Patchwork and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com. 
take an ultimate shop hop tour of 11 top quilt shops. You'll find them all in the current issue of Quilt Sampler, available now at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm Pat Sloan. If you have been to any major quilt shows over the last few years, um, you've seen Kathy Wiggins' work. She enters quilts and wins amazing awards. Um, and then the past couple years, you may have gone to a show and seen a quilt done all in leather, quilted leather. Once again, you're seeing Kathy Wiggins' work. I thought it would be super interesting to hear how she does this and um, how we regular quilt makers can use leather in our quilts. Kathy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, first tell me a little backstory. How did you turn, you know, what point did you turn your quilting sort of into a business when you were, you quilted for others before, right? I did. Um, I started quilting about 14 years ago. Um, um, one of my, in fact, I had never owned a sewing machine until up till then. <laughs> <laughs> my, one of my neighbors drug me to a local guild meeting, and I and I never looked back. I bought a long arm about two years into that, and I did a lot of quilting for others at that point. Um, and then I started doing um, patterns and, and teaching locally, and then it started growing from there. And I stopped quilting for others and started concentrating on uh, making competition quilts at that point. Right. And and you won many, many awards. You have a gorgeous work. Um, but what when did this leather thing, how did this happen that you quilted a piece of leather? Well, um, before I moved into the leather, I, I was really known for, since about 2004, 2005, something like that, um, for a series of quilts. So they're called Just for Fun, and they're all puzzle quilts. And they've been published all over the place. Um, there's some of them are witches. There's uh, witches brew. There's one um, for Christmas Eve. And, um, and so uh, the last one in this series, there's 14 of them, and the last one in this series is I wanted to do a book cover. Um, it's of Oscar the Dragon, and I wanted a book cover um, of Oscar, and I wanted the book cover to have a leather binding because I wanted it to be mm. like an old-fashioned book. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to use paints or whatever to make the cotton look like leather, and one of my friends says to me, why not just use real leather? I had ah. never occurred to me to use real leather, and so that's what started the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. But when you did the first one, so this is what I'm really curious about. When you did that first one, did you just go, I, I need to do this again? This was so cool. Or was it like a little ways before you tried it again? No. When I put that first um, leather, I, I got some pieces of leather to start um, experimenting with and see if you could quilt it and see if it would look like what it is I was trying to go after. Once I opened up um, that first um, piece of leather and I could smell that leather, I knew that I had come home. And I think that goes back to a lot of my childhood because I grew up around horses and I grew up in a horse barn. Ah. And so as soon as I smelled that smell, all of mm-hmm. those memories started coming back. Mm-hmm. That, that's when I knew that yeah. I was on, this is going to take me on another adventure. Not sure where it's going to go, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is, you know, smells are really powerful, aren't they? Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, you can smell something and think of your grandma's house or like you like take you back to your childhood. So so what did 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 I hear? Okay, I know I did. That you sold like all your regular fabric and Yes, I like, did actually. Oh. 
what happened was I had Sounds been painful. for about um, <laughs> for about a year or so, and I knew mm-hmm. that this was where I was going to go. And so I knew, though, that when I walked, and I have a gorgeous studio, and I knew, though, when I walked into my studio and I saw all of my fabric that I had there, it was like a creativity drain because I wasn't doing anything with it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was tying me to the past, and I knew in order for me to spiritually move forward, I had to let all of that go. And so my daughter worked with me, and we bundled it all up, and we sold it all. <laughs> it, it was quite a quite a quite a, a quite a time there going through all that. <laughs> yeah did did it feel did you feel good when that was done? Like that you could like okay. I did. It, it made me feel like that it was finally closing the chapter on what I was known for, and it was freeing me up to really start exploring the whole leather adventure. Yeah. So now let's do some really specifics, because most of my listeners work pretty much just with cotton, you know, maybe a little wool. Um, a lot of them, you know, like wool, but uh, leather, it just seems so foreign. Um, what are the things that you have to know about? Well, I think the, the, the key thing is to make sure you have the right leather. If you have the right leather, then you can actually sew on that leather with any sewing machine you have. And the, the, what you want to look for um, when you buy leather, you get garment-grade leather or you can get upholstery-grade leather, but you want to look for something that they, it's sold by an ounce. It's, and you want to look for something that's mm. three ounces or less. And mm-hmm. as long as you find something that's three ounces or less, you can sew on that with any sewing machine you have as long as you have a leather needle. Oh, okay. All right. So what is a leather needle? I mean, where do you, do you, ha- you find those at regular quilt shops or would you have to, you no, know, order them right special? Beside, they're hanging right beside the denim needles. Oh. <laughs> right beside the jeans <laughs> needles. Right beside the metallic needles. They're all there. Yeah. You know, the garment people have been using them forever. And the mm-hmm. only difference in the needles, uh, what, the, what a diamond, I mean, what a, a leather needle is, is it has a knife point. So it's cutting a hole through the leather as opposed to a universal needle, which would tear a hole through the leather. That's the only difference that there is. So I have a question because you do you're you're doing almost um, like uh, whole cloth, you know, basically a lot of your your pieces now. Uh, are you tracing? Are you you know practicing on something else first? Because you know you can't like close that hole up in the leather. Right, right. Uh-huh. Um, you yeah. Once you stitch on leather, it's there forever. Which I yeah. actually that have found that's really um, liberating because you can't. Mm-hmm. You have to live with the mistakes now. Um, mm-hmm. But I treat my leather um, tops just like I do any other quilt top. And so I mark. Uh, I use um, tracing paper to transfer my images um, over onto the leather, and I treat it just like I do any other whole cloth quilt. I mean, you can also applique. I've done a lot of applique work um, oh. because the leather is thin enough that you can actually mm-hmm. sew through two or three layers of it um, at one time. And um, so, yes, yeah, so you can do applique. You can do reverse applique. Any, you can use the leather any way that you use a regular uh, regular cotton. You know, it's just fascinating. Um, I had an opportunity to to meet you at the last trade show where you had a booth and you had your work displayed and you had the leather there for so I could feel it. Because I think as a as a cotton person, um, the quilters is hard to imagine. We're thinking leather shoes or leather boots or leather purses, which are often really stiff. But this is really drapey. Yes, it, yeah, it, it's amazing. But that's the one thing that people are just really amazed at how soft and supple it really is. 
Mm-hmm. And so, and it so it works perfectly. Um, and and you can use um, stiffener if you want to turn it into a tote or a bag mm-hmm. of some kind. You can use the stiff, stiffeners just like you do behind the piece of cotton. You can use that. You can iron on it um, just like you can. Cotton. Oh. Oh, you can iron on it. So yeah, you, you so have you to put. Protect, you want to protect the surface with mm-hmm. a pressing cloth, but yeah, you can mm-hmm. iron on it. So you can use fusibles with it. Oh, how neat. I just yeah. never, that never occurred to me. It's, it's such like a foreign thing. And I've worked with other fibers, just never, never leather. What kind of thread, uh, Kathy, uh, do people need to use? Well, I recommend not using cotton um, because mm-hmm. it, it will shred because you're all going through the texture of the leather. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, I use uh, uh, anything other than the cotton. I've never had any problems with whatsoever. You just want to make sure, of course, that the needle size needs to match the th- the size of the thread that you're sewing with. Mm-hmm. And the needle point needs to match what it is you're sewing through. And so if you're going to be sewing with a heavier thread, then you want to use a larger needle. Um, and so I've, I've done both sewing on my domestic machine and on my long arm with, with the same threads that I've always used on all of my competition pieces, and I've never had any problems with it. Oh, so where um, are you teaching this now? I mean, can people take workshops? Are you doing that? Yes, we're just now starting um, doing workshops. Um, mm-hmm. I, on, on my website, we'll start launching it out. Um, the uh, the I do have kits, um, I, and I have DVDs that are available. Um, mm. With my business partners at OldCityQuilts.com, um, mm-hmm. they are the ones. I've, I've been fortunate enough to find a business partner that's, that's willing to help me with the business side of things, so I can stay on the creative side. Yeah, so and they're, they're uh, they've got all the they've got leather, they've got the needles, and they've got um, the DVDs um, mm-hmm. that are project oriented. So if you just want to give a, give one little project a try, you can. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we're also going to be doing for at um, this year in Houston is that we're going to have kits made up of just of uh, the more popular patterns that people are used to using, like the Diva Wallet. Yes, make a Diva yeah. Wallet using the leather. Mhm, mhm, and yeah. and I and also th- have a um, a YouTube channel um, uh, creating with leather with Kathy Wiggins that has all kinds of little tips and tidbits on it about selecting leather and needles and that sort of thing too. Oh, that's that's excellent. I'm going to add that onto my page, Kathy, yeah. so that um, they can get to that. Now, describe. Um, you know, we have a few minutes still, so describe the type of quilts that you're making. That a lot of them have a, a bit of a western flair, but are you doing other things too? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> I, I was uh, fortunate enough to, um, of course, to have a, a solo exhibits coming up in Houston uh, that they wanted 17 pieces. Mm. <laughs> and, and so from February until now, until August, that's what I was concentrating on because they wanted all Western-style stuff in Houston, and I understand that. But my, I really love doing dragons. Um, and mm-hmm. one of the coolest things that I really want to get back to is um, you can, if you wet leather, and you stretch it over a form and let it mm-hmm. dry, it will hold its shape. Mm-hmm. It's the coolest wow. thing. And so you can make three-dimensional objects from the leather. And so I, I've sculpted a couple of heads, um, a dragon head and a horse head, that I actually have taken um, and uh, molded the leather over the heads and then incorporated those into a quilted piece as well. You are just taking this. Kind of thing. Kathy, it's just mind blowing, you know. Really, you're taking it's it's art, um, 
and the 3D aspect is phenomenal. Now, when you're, tell me how you do that sort of shading because some of your pieces that I've seen, um, like like they're shading almost like it's painted or something on parts of the images. Well, the one thing when you're working with leather, um, it opens up a whole new world uh, of of tools and embellishments and paintings and dyes that you can use. And so when I'm doing my shading, I'm actually using the leather dyes. And it's mm. been such an extraordinary experience because I'm I've gotten a lot of help from the leather tooling people that are out there that have really oh. actually helped me find the tools that I needed and the dyes that work best for what it is I want to achieve. And so I just use the dyes with a paintbrush, and that's how I add my shading to give my, um, to give my images even more of a definition of a three-dimensional look. And and I and because um, I think it just really adds interest to it. Once it is quilted, it just adds another layer of, of definition mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, and, and it's have, it, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say that because that lets the images sort of pop and have and give that three D look. Right, and the one thing I did find out just recently, though, too, is that um, is that if we do use dyes on leather, you have to seal it too because it because it will fade over time. And so you mm. have to get a UV spray, which is readily available. I and mean, it's just mm-hmm. archival spray that, you, that they use on oil paintings that you just spray that and it keeps it from the dyes from, from fading away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and, and so then, yeah, go ahead. As- I was going to say, at the show, like in, in this fall in Houston, will you have pieces that are like purses and things so people can see it done up into something they can kind of envision making? Yes, we'll have, um, in Houston, we'll have, we'll have purses, we'll have clothing. We either have oh. little uh, um, espadrille shoes made out of it. Oh. Um, I mean, it, it's just all kinds of vests. And, and totes and fanny packs and all kinds of things that you can make out of it. And in addition to the wall pieces, and we're getting um, even a tuffet for mm-hmm. the oh. home deck. Yes, as well. that would be, that is so awesome. So give me your website. Uh, we're going to wrap it up, Kathy. Okay, um, it's kathywiggins.com, and also you can find um, the, at the YouTube channel, which is Quilting, um, Creating with Leather. And then Old City Quilts has all the leather and supplies. Yeah, it's just phenomenal. I can't wait to come see you again uh, this fall. Okay, I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> this Thank is American. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, this is American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. We're going to take a break. Looking for fresh, simple, and fun projects and ideas? Check out the current issue of Quilts and More magazine at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Join American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ magazine. See our editors share their tips, ideas, and techniques by visiting allpeoplequilt.com and clicking on videos. See what other quilters are up to on the American Patchwork and Quilting page on Facebook. Simply go to Facebook.com and search for APQ Magazine. 
Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. Uh, this show is uh, brought to you by Motive Fabrics, and I want you to take a look out on the blog.motivefabrics.com for October 4th because the title of that post is It Only Looks Like Wool. There's an amazing new collection coming out that looks like wool, but it's flannel from Minnick and Simpson, and they are well known for their wool because Polly is a rug hooker extraordinaire, and uh they just, it's just really, really cool stuff. You're going to want your shops to be carrying that. It's called Cotton Works Wovens. So every month, um, Mary Abru of Confessions of a Craft Addict joins me, and we do sort of a, a in more in-depth on one topic. And so, yay, Mary's here. How are you, Mary? I'm well, thanks, Pat. How are you? I am great. Um, this month, I thought we would talk about classes. So we've talked about classes before, but I wanted to do it with a little bit of a twist because, uh, you know, for those of us who have been sewing for a while, uh, people, they, we tend to not take classes anymore. But there's reasons we should, right? Absolutely. Um, I think it, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it really can add so much to your your sewing and give you some new energy and it's a great thing to to do and and you would deserve to invest in yourself yeah and i think there's i thought we could just go back and forth with just a couple of points about why we personally think taking classes at any point in your in your learning um in your experience level i guess is good so what what you go first well i think one of the great things about it is that you get immediate feedback about your what you're doing Mm. um because when you're you know, I think especially if you've been sewing for a while or if, even if you're new, you, a lot of it is very solitary. And when you're doing something and it's not quite working out right, you have to sort of hunt down why, it's, why things are maybe not lining up, why you're not getting the results you want. And when you take a class, you have an expert there who can look at it and say, oh, this is how you fix yeah. that or this is how to make that turn out better, um, mm-hmm. which is really kind of great rather than trying to hunt down exactly what you're doing you know right you, do you have the right google ninja skills to right find what you're, <laughs> sure. you know, find the solution like um, sew it from the top instead of the bottom and then it'll work fine you know it's like, yeah yeah absolutely i took a workshop last year from with jen kingwell and had mm-hmm. never done hand piecing or hand quilting and mm-hmm. it was so great for her to be able to look at what i was doing and say oh try try this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and see if that doesn't work out better and it was was fantastic. Plus, it really kind of got me excited. It's like, hey, I can do this. Um, and Jen is awesome. So, that's, <laughs> oh, okay. So here's one of mine: is that I, I am a firm believer that you, you go into any class at any point in your learning, and you can only absorb so much. Um, and when you're a beginner, it's like learning to drive a car. There's like so much stuff and you can't remember everything. So, you know, it's like, what? There's a machine there. Uh, so I found that over time I've taken machine quilting classes over with different instructors at different points in my learning because each time I'm absorbing something entirely different from that teacher, um, that I could not have gotten earlier on when I didn't have any practice yet. Yeah, I think that's that's so true. Um, you know, I, I, I one of the things that I've enjoyed about it is taking a workshop is a great way to meet other people who share your interests and and broaden that that friend circle of people with common interests. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in my my daily life as a mom, 
I encounter a lot of people who are like, you sew? You quilt? Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like a foreign concept for them. But um, being able to hang out with people who, who enjoy the same hobbies as I do is really kind of fun. Um, and, you know, and it's so funny is that I, um, I noticed that two of my friends on Facebook recently were commenting on each other's posts. I'm like, hey, how, did you, how do you guys know each other? And they're like, uh, we met in your class. <laughs> and they had to both taken a class from me at the same time and just hit it off and and that was so cool and then you know so funny because i completely forgot that that was how they met <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah that's why you're they're having this private conversation in your stream you know it's like hey <laughs> hello that's um exactly. i'm like stalking yeah. you guys now what's going on yeah so the other thing that I find is um, my interest changed, just like you said with Jen, you know, you'd never, you know, done those techniques. Well, I find that all of a sudden I want, there's something I want to learn more about. Like I personally haven't done a, any really machine embroidery, but I'm starting to get this sort of, wow, what is that all about? You know, what is, what goes on there? And I would take a class because that's going to give me up to speed a lot faster uh, than just, you know, sort of trying it out on my own. I'm I'm good at trying things out on my own, but I also like to get up to speed quick on, on certain things like that. Um, so, Mary, I want to switch gears because there's another okay. thing I want to talk about for for teaching because besides taking classes, so many people teach others. Um, yeah, so you teach, I teach, but, like, people will teach somebody – in their guild or their neighbor. Um, so I thought we would talk about what's sort of necessary to understand to be able to teach somebody else. What are, what are a few key items? Well, one of, one of the things is that anything that you're teaching, if you're teaching a, a pattern or a book, everybody you're teaching needs to have a copy of that. That's just, that's just how it works. And, and, you know, they should have a copy, and it's good for them to have a copy. You want people mm-hmm. to have, have that. Yeah that source material to be able to refer to. Um, teaching is really is, is one of the most rewarding things that I do. I really enjoy it a lot. But it's very different from the actual making, and you have to give yourself the time to really, you need to really think through what mm-hmm. it is that you're making and how long that takes. I like to tell people that um, if it takes you, you know, X amount of time to make it, it will take you three to four times that amount of time to teach it. Mm-hmm. It, it's yeah. a very different process than just making it yourself. Yeah. And you need to give yourself the amount of time that it really does take in order to teach that to other people so that they can understand it and, and you can help them with the different, the different aspects and give each person, you know, if you're teaching more than one person or even if you're just mm-hmm. teaching one person, it does yeah. take more time that way. And I think having an outline of what you're going to go through, because when you're making things for yourself, you and everybody has the pattern, but you're trying to explain something. So you need to give, make yourself a little outline in advance so that you know, okay, these are the points I want to hit on to explain how to do this. Um, even like for doing demos, right, Mary, it would be really good for demos even. Yeah, every I have a, a, a class notebook, and every one of my classes has I keep the outline, the supply list, and the handouts with it. So when I teach that class, I just flip to that page in the binder and make whatever copies I need to make for distributing, um, and just refresh myself on that on the outline and make sure I have all of my step outs. One of the things that I do is I make, um, and I think it's a, a great thing to do, is that you have a, a step out model for what you're teaching, so it shows the breakdown of the process 
because I think a lot of times people who who want to learn in person and need to learn from someone else are very um, they're very visual and they mm-hmm. need to see what's going on at while they're doing it and so they can take that and break that down and so that yeah. that is just it, you know it takes it takes a lot of time to make those step out models but the great thing is is once you've got them you always have them <laughs> right right and and I think what happens is people end up teaching again, you know, and you don't have to recreate the wheel. You know, if you're going to teach how to make a basic bag in a, in a workshop, you can, you know, you can make it over, you can teach it over and over again because not everybody's going to come to that one class um, or a quilt, you know, that you can have the same, the same thing. Do you ever do dry runs? Do you ever like teach your friends on something brand new that you haven't taught before? Um, yes. Um, yeah. I, I have I have a couple of things I have that I can hit up for just about <laughs> anything and say, hey, yeah. I want to teach this, but I kind of need to see how it's going to work. And mm-hmm. will you, you know, will you be my guinea pig? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, I'll feed you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the magic or something. I'll pick up like yeah. coffee or take you out to lunch or something. And they're <laughs> usually game for it because you know it's it's good to have that experience of going through it and working through where somebody is stumbling or where you need to go into more detail than you really may have thought you needed to. And and sometimes it's good to see it and you go, wow, this is going to take a lot longer than I thought. Right, right. And you might have, you might be explaining something and all of a sudden people are all looking at you like, what does that mean? And you know what it means because you've already made the project. But in order to vocalize it or show them, you might find out you need another step out. (laughs) Yes. And really, the terminology too is that um, I teach I teach adults and some kids, and I use um, driving analogies sometimes, uh, which mm-hmm. I can't do with kids. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I use riding a bike, but sometimes that doesn't work because I live in a very um, I live in a bigger city, and kids don't always get to learn how to ride bikes at an right. age. So you have to kind of figure out you know what works for the audience that you're teaching as well, and and the best way to communicate the particular and- skill or technique that you're you're trying to go over. The other thing that both – because both you and I are authors, and so we've written books that um, they can be used as teaching tools, you know, so that if your class that you're going to teach, everybody has the book, then you can reference – you don't have to recreate the wheel. You use the book. Um, yes. Your new book is out now, right? Hack That Tote? Yes, it is. Yay, so exciting. Yeah, and a um, lot of publishers – so my publisher I know, and I believe your publisher as well, asks – authors to create a class outline um, so that, you know, if a shop is going to teach it, if somebody's going to teach that book, you can go to the publisher's website and download a class plan. And, you know, where, where the teacher, and, and I've prepared them for my books, where, where it talks about how how you go about teaching this, just a real, an outline that refers to things, how to make that class work, what the amount of time that class would take. Um, mm-hmm. It's really very helpful. Yeah, and how to, you know, if you're going to teach, teach it in segments, you know, teach just this part for a three-hour class, and then um, then you can go, because teaching is so rewarding, and there's so much out there that you don't have to recreate the wheel. You don't have to make it all up yourself. There's so many great books. Does yours have um, photo step-outs in it of some of the sections, some of the parts? It does, and I'm so excited because I'm teaching my first class from my new book this uh, weekend, and mm-hmm. I have my step-out models already made because they were <laughs> two models for my book. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the best shortcut ever. But yeah. the great thing, one of the things that I really like about teaching, you know, is that, is that it's fun, but you're, 
encouraging other people and you're giving them inspiration and encouragement to continue in this hobby and to be excited about it and to continue to sew and maybe share that with other people that they know. And it's sort of this, um, you know, six degrees of sewing or whatever where you, you know, one person tells somebody else and that other person decides, hey, I want to try this. Or they may know somebody else who would be interested in learning how to sew or wants to sew. And, and so it kind of spreads and gets people interested in the hobby. And that's a, that's a great thing. I don't know any other thing that I can really do that, that has that sort of effect. It's, it's useful and it's fun. But, it, you know, you get to play with beautiful things that are soft right. or something that's yes. not. Um, <laughs> and and that's, that's great. So, you know, it should be fun for you when you're teaching, but it should be also fun for the people who are taking your class. They, they are, are doing this, um, this activity that can really be so rewarding. Yeah, you're you're developing. I always say that you're teaching people, especially with adults who you know aren't used to maybe taking classes. It's their hobby. Um, it's not a job. We're not teaching them accounting. You know, it's a hobby. It should be fun and keeping that light and fun atmosphere um, is a goal for me. <laughs> yeah, and I I try to work on that, and, and I think that's one of the things that I've noticed about teaching adults, and and I and I talk to them about that is that as as a when you teach kids, they're very used to being in an, in an active state of learning all the time. But as adults, mm-hmm. we, we are past that. We don't really, we aren't learning as much as we used to be unless we're seeking out opportunities for learning. And so when you get into a class, you sort of have this feeling like you should get it right away and be able to do everything perfectly the first time. And you have to give yourself permission. And, and as a teacher, that's what I tell people. Give yourself permission to learn how to do this and to make mistakes. And yeah to do it better the next time, but it's okay. Yeah. It's all, that's part of the learning process. And if you yeah. continue to try and find ways of learning and you encourage people to learn and it's to all good. make mistakes, then it, <laughs> it, it works and, and it becomes much more relaxing and liberating. Mary, this has been so fabulous. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the end of the month. Yes. We're See you then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> This is American Patrick and Quilting. I'm Pat Sloan. Remember to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All People Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.